Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello, friends. Thanks again for joining us here on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Once again, I'm John Russin, your host. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, and you've joined us in the middle of our series that we've entitled The Power of Story, and where we chat with believers and do deeper dives into their lives, their upbringing, what led them to Jesus, and most importantly, what led them to understand Jesus as their life. In our virtual studio today, we have the Fields Brothers, Roger and Jeff. They live in central Kentucky, I think Lexington. That's probably the only place in central Kentucky I've ever been. They got a website, thefieldsbrothers.com. And if you check out their website, you'll see that they like to talk about freedom in Christ and they like to have a good time. So those are two of my favorite things. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Pastor Frank, who knows them better than I to introduce them a little more fully. Then we'll turn it over to you guys. Welcome, Roger. Welcome, Jeff. Welcome, Frank. Hello. Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, I do know them probably a little bit better than you, but not enough to admit that I know them in public. Um, I did meet them a little over, I guess, two years ago about, and they were speaking at a conference that I was speaking at, and I just fell in love with them because, you know, John, you and I coined an 11th commandment many years ago that we would not take ourselves too seriously. And that is probably how I describe these two. They like to laugh. They like to have fun. They don't take themselves too seriously, but they take Jesus very seriously. And when I say that, I don't mean a bunch of religious trappings, but Jesus in the purity of who he is, what he has done, and what he longs to be to those who trust him. And so these are fun Jesus people. So Roger and Jeff, great to have you with us. Looking forward to this. Hey, well, first off, let me just say this. I'm not from Lexington, all right? So you already messed me up here. You know, I'm Nicholasville, guys, which is about, a, I'm about a mile from the Lexington city limits. And we, we really take a lot of uh, pride in our little town of Nicholasville. We love our little town. So uh, anyway, I wanted to clarify that. Well, thank you. I, uh, I feel pretty humbled that I don't know my geography that well. But I would guess, Roger, that in about five years, your little town will probably disappear into a subdivision inside Lexington. Well, it's, it's already happening, actually. But uh, yeah, we're just from the big city of Lexington. I'm more of down to home, you know, down to earth kind of person lives in a smaller town. You know, he's kind of he, he has his fancy schmancy office downtown Lexington. I'm here on the farm in Nicholasville. So um, there you go. Well, I got to ask you, who has the season tickets to the Wildcats game? That'd be Jeff. That would be me. Well, for now, I tell you, if you ask me a year from now, it may be neither one of us. So, <laughs> well, yeah. maybe they'll do better next time around. Well, guys, thank you. Can only go one us. direction if you're a Wildcats fan. <clears throat> well, that's right. I am a Wildcats fan, and they can go only. No, they can get worse. 
<laughs> okay, guys, thanks for joining us today. Listen, we've never done an interview with two different people before, especially two brothers who look so much alike. And so uh, I don't honestly know how to proceed. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, tell us about growing up. You know, you're both believers. You both have no hair. You're both more or less the same age. Wait a minute. Uh, Wait a minute. That no hair. Look at uh, this here. Well, oh, I could do that if I wanted to. Yeah. So tell Wait, us a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they can't see you on the podcast. There's a podcast, Jeff. They can't see you when you do uh, something. I'm, I'm, but, but John and Frank can see you. So. Okay. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm the older. This, yeah, we're four years apart. I'm the older. And um, I'm, um, I'm the more creative of the two. And, I'm the more athletic of the two. And so there you go. Okay. And where were you raised? In Lexington. Yeah. Grew up in Lexington. Part of a, at that time, you know, one of the largest congregations in terms of church background in Lexington. Back then it was, it got up to over a thousand people. That was late seventies, which was, you know, pretty big for that time. Well, one of the biggest in Kentucky at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Way back then. Well, yeah. It's just the two of us in our family, uh, just mom, dad, Roger and me. And just a very middle-class, uh, dad worked for the University of Kentucky, so very middle-class family. And, um, you know, had a stable stable home, you know, no other, uh, just the two of us, so no other siblings. But uh, very thankful, extremely thankful for the for our family. Our, our dad uh, passed away about seven years ago. Uh, just a wonderful husband and dad and, and well-respected in the community and among other believers. And, and we're just super blessed to, to have had, to have the parents. And our mom is still doing great. She's yeah, a, she's she's going full steam. I mean, it's anyway. Go ahead, Jeff. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yeah, mom's great. Yeah, I mean, she's in great health and 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 doing good. And you know, we're still waiting for that role reversal that sometimes happens with uh, with parents and and kids, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. So she is a very uh, uh, very healthy, very independent, and enjoying life. And and we enjoy uh, being in touch with her on a regular basis. And I'm um, so very blessed. That's exciting to hear uh, parents raising their children to know the Lord. So how was your upbringing experience? Was it you, you walked the aisle at a young age? You were rebellious in your teenage years? Uh, what, what was that like for both of you? We, we were not, we did not go through a rebellious period. I mean, we really had a very, I mean, in a way, non-eventful, you know, kind of upbringing. Uh, we were highly churched through that, you know, through the years as, as we got I don't know, teenagers and older, mom and dad began to really, you know, question a lot of things within the faith. And we kind of came out of the denomination we've been raised in. Still attend the same church, but I mean, just broadened their understanding of God and his grace and all. And so they they went through a real transformation. And there were a lot of factors involved with that. Um, Charles Solomon had a huge impact on them. Um, and so, you know, they really embraced um, the whole exchange life idea uh, way before we did way before I did. I mean, we both went to the we both went to the same Bible college. Uh, both went into the ministry. We both pastored churches. We say on the podcast we're recovering pastors, and we just we, we there was no church scandal or nothing. We just like the term recovering pastor. We just you know. Whenever I tell people that you know I was a pastor full time for ten years, I I, I kind of feel compelled to to say there was no scandals, no money missing, no. Uh, you know, no marriage is broken up in yeah. the congregation or anything like that. But um, I mean, we, we had a wonderful upbringing. The church, you know, Roger mentioned that, you know, we were there at the at the building every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. Dad was an elder in the congregation. Mom and dad both taught classes either together or separately. 
and it was, you know, looking back, I mean, I, we're thankful for so much, but, you know, now we also see that it was, you know, we'd really never heard about the new covenant or, you know, Christ as your life or grace or uh, being crucified with Christ, never heard anything like that. And I think that, you know, it wasn't said directly like this, but it was pretty strongly implied that commitment to God and commitment to that particular congregation were pretty much one and the same. And yeah. so, you know, I am thankful they took scripture very seriously. And there was never a question about a scripture, you know, an authoritative uh, guide and that things of eternity are, are supremely important. And Jesus Christ is Lord. And he died for us. He rose again. So the very basic things, you know, we were, we were taught and thankful for that. But in terms of, you know, living under the new covenant, as opposed to a, a mixed message or a mixed gospel where you try to combine the old and new, it, it was, you know, it was not the message of grace that we've come to appreciate and know. So. That's a bit of an understatement. Yes. It was not the same message. <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty big change. And so I know you said your parents hooked up with Dr. Solomon and he's a, uh, He's impacted so many of us over the years. So what changed in your family, in your upbringing, in your dynamic between your, your, your two brothers and your parents when they began to learn that Christ was their life and they began to walk in the spirit of grace and not in law? What changed in your family? Well, that pretty much happened as we were leaving home or in college yeah. ourselves. And so, okay. you know, that, that change happened more than just in our conversations, they would use dad's vacation time to go to conferences. And so whether it's a Charles Solomon or Bob George or a number of other ones, they did a lot of counseling for the local church. And so they would go to seminars and conferences to learn how to be better counselors. The, the biggest change happened at the time we were leaving home or just after we left home. So, so what you think about that as you're leaving home, your parents seem to be sort of changing horses on you. Well, it was, a, it was a gradual process. And my, my thing was, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm speaking for myself now. I, I didn't disagree particularly with a lot of theology. I just didn't have a lot of my questions answered. I mean, you know, went through Bible college you know, and pastored a church. And so I just had, a, I mean, I had a real deep, serious mix of old and new covenant. Mm -hmm. And for me, understanding the new covenant was great, but I had to figure out what to do with the old covenant, what to do with, you know, many of the things Jesus said. And so it was just a very complex mix for me that I had to unravel. And I can tell you what did it for me as much as anything is, is finally coming to terms with a belief that the cross changed everything. And I just couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't explain why the language of the Bible changed at the cross. Even the Gospels, a lot of the terms you find in the Gospels are not in the writings of Paul and other, other New Testament writers, and vice versa. There were terms that were just not, they just had different language. And so the issue became, well, why is that? And so, you know, the, the traditional kind of, and maybe sometimes in some liberal circles, well, it's the difference between Jesus and Paul. Well, one of the difference between Jesus and Paul, Jesus is the one who picked Paul to do that, if you believe the biblical account, which I do. It was a matter of everything changed at the cross. Once that got in my head, then I began to see things I had never seen before. Now, I'll tell you one other side of it, and then, Jeff, you can tell your story. But one of the things that hit me that really got me 
was one day, you know, and I'm, I mean, I was into everything. I was, you know, I've been taught us about discipleship and be following Jesus. And I mean, I had all the, I hear all this about how you ought to pray, how you ought to read your Bible, how you ought to, I mean, everything, you know, how you need to share your faith. And so one day it hit me that, you know, to me, maybe my flawed way of thinking, but to me, it didn't seem like it was as hard to be a Jew under the law as it was to be a Christian today under grace. And I thought, how's that possible? How's it? I mean, I thought, now maybe I was wrong in my thinking, but, you know, it didn't seem to me like Jews, and even under the law, had it that tough. I mean, you had to go to about, what, six festivals a year? I thought, well, I could do that. I had to abstain from pork, wouldn't enjoy that, but I could do that. <laughs> Take Saturday off, fine, I can do that. Most, a lot of the laws in the old day, well, okay, fine, I can, you know, I can do so. But, you know, to me, those things seemed a lot more doable than what a lot of people were teaching of, you know, the cost of discipleship and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, how, how is that? And I thought something's wrong with my thinking of the gospel and this covenant if I have made it into or allowed people to make it into something more difficult than it was to even live under the law in the Old Testament. And, um, you know, I tell the story that, you know, that in the Old Testament, you know, you had, to, you had to bring your sheep to the high priest once a year and even inspect your sheep. You had to bring a perfect sheep, you know, no blemishes, you can't bring some lamb, sorry sheep in, it's got to be a good lamb. And, uh, and, you know, it hit me that, you know, under this covenant, you know, and they didn't inspect you under, even under the old covenant, you didn't get inspected. Just your act, your sacrifice got inspected. If your sacrifice was good. You were good. Well, under this covenant, we got a good sacrifice, you know, the lamb of God, Jesus. And so just began to realize that something is deeply, deeply wrong with the way we have packaged Christianity, packaged the gospel, you know, in this world. I was listening to you, Roger, and, you know, I think back to some of the statements that I was told, you know, Jesus did this for you. Now, what are you going to do for Jesus? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, if you looked at what he did, that was such an elevation over the old covenant law. You know, now you had to imitate him which yeah. was, you know, virtually impossible. So, yeah, I think a lot of that is is contributed upon us by all those demands that we hear. And they come packaged so many different ways. And they make, oh, yeah. and the way they're presented is very slick. Like we talked about on the podcast the other day, somebody said, um, I forgot, I think I read this online somewhere, you know, said, um, what was it, Jeff? Said the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not here to give you goosebumps. He is here to conform you into the image of Christ. And so we set up these dichotomies where it's one or the other. And I thought, well, you know, there's a scripture that says the Holy Spirit's main thing is to show us what we have been freely given in Christ. And I don't know of a real clear scripture that says his main job is to somehow shape us um, into the image of Jesus. But that's what we do. We set up these, these dichotomies, and it's like you got to pick one or the other, and many times they're both wrong. So did this revelation come to you when you were pastoring? And if so, what did that do for your preaching style and your shepherding style? No, Jeff, are you okay with me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to cut you out. Yeah. yeah, all right. Well, yeah, I'm just curious. We'll get to you in just a minute, Jeff. Thanks. Okay. Here, here's my story. Is I, I left pastoring 25 some years ago. Um, I was on Sabbath at church. And the story is I got into children's ministry and 
I developed an event called Kids Blitz. And then the offshoot of that was Fam Blitz. And we took this all over America for 23 years. I crisscrossed this country. I've been to over 40 denominations. I was in a different church most every weekend. I've been to hundreds and hundreds of churches of all denominations. Of all, I've been on many of the mega churches in this country and did live events that it, it just, this event did really well. I mean, it just, you know, kind of, I don't know, we wanted to produce a high energy event for mom, dad, and the kids, and that's what happened. So the, my message began to change during that event. I always did kind of an invitation time at the end. I wanted to give people an opportunity to receive the Lord. But as I, as I began to, my thing changed, I began to change the way I did that. And so it was very clear in the final few years that, you know, I, I would, you know, they, and they, a lot of these things were phrased, they would be back. And that's kind of the nature of this event, you know, and it was all about, you know, it's not about what I do for God, but what God has done for me through Jesus. And I'd have them say a lot of things. And so, and I would get some interesting responses to that. A lot of people come up and say, we've never heard it like that before. Mm. And so we got a lot of positive stuff. Occasionally a pastor would say something like, well, it's really not just quite that easy, you know? And, uh, well, actually, kind of is. Yeah, kind of is. All right, Jeff, let's hear from your side of the story. What happened, man? Okay, I was um, 1983. I got graduated from Bible college one Saturday, got married the next Saturday, and um, accepted the role as uh, minister slash pastor slash preacher, whatever you want to call it, of Stanton Christian Church in Stanton, Kentucky, part of the what some call the Independent Christian Church. So uh, my wife was 19, so I was 21, she was 19, uh, pastor and pastor's wife. So what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> well, actually, not a lot did go wrong. I mean, we had a good 10 years there. Our first four children, we have a total of six children now, or eventually had six children. We got 10 grandkids now, too. But uh, had our first four children while we lived there, and the congregation was very good to us. It was not demanding. And so I have no of the bad horror stories that a lot of quote unquote, former pastors have. So we're thankful for that. But in, and I may get back a little bit to when I, why I left there and, and that process, but in terms of our journey and, and kind of how God revealed things to our parents and then to Roger and me, you know, it was all kind of separately. I mean, mom and dad were together. They went to the same conferences, but you know, kind of Roger has a little different journey than I have, which is a little different. Yeah, really different. Yeah. You know, one thing, Roger, I really didn't think about this till now, and I don't see what you have to say about this, but one thing that I that I do remember mom and dad talking about a lot is even though, you know, so we grew up in the 60s and 70s, basically, you know, a lot that they didn't understand during that time, and that the folks that, you know, the sermons we were hearing did not, you know, communicate the finished work of the cross and all that, but there was one thing that was really impactful to mom and dad, especially dad, early on while we were still little in the 60s, the uh, the church that we attended uh, brought someone in for a little seminar type of thing and taught on the Holy Spirit. And for the rest of dad's life, he would talk about how important it is to be led by the Holy and to live by the Holy Spirit, the person. And because they never, I mean, they grew up in church in a small town in, in northern Kentucky, but they never heard anything about the Holy Spirit being a person who lives inside of you. And so that was revealed to them, I think it was probably the late 60s sometime. And so even though it was much later on when they came to understand New Covenant and Christ as life and Galatians 2.20 and all that, they did early on have a sense of, okay, the, the Spirit of God is not a a thing, you know, we don't get the spirit in pints, quarts, and gallons. He's, he's not a book. Yeah, not a book. And he and he's a person who lives inside of us. The, the spirit of God, the person of Christ, 
inside of us. And so we did greatly benefit from mom and dad uh, coming to that revelation while we were still little. And we did hear a lot about that growing up. And so, you know, it's interesting how, you know, it takes decades sometimes. I can see God preparing them at that time and showing them that that helped us later on. And then in the eighties and nineties, Roger and I and, and our parents start to see more and more of who Christ is and what he's done. And then just even last five years. And so it's, you know, it's interesting that it takes, you know, takes decades at times and God works through multiple generations. Hmm. Um, and so hopefully our children have benefited and, and see where it goes from there. So, so what led you away from your pastorate? So I started in 1983. So by summer of 93, we had four children. I think it, it got me thinking about what do I, what type of congregation do I want my children to grow up in? And I tell people, I kind of felt like a catch 22 that in that role, and it was, it was a congregation, Sunday morning attendance, about 125, 130 or something. Over 10 years, we had, a, we had explosive growth from about 120 to about 135 in, in just 10 years. So, um, you know, not all that explosive in, in all seriousness, but they were good to us and everything was fine. There were no problems there, but it felt like, you know, I wanted to see the body of Christ function as a body. And I remember in college reading the book, Body Life. You guys remember that? Ray Stedman, Body Life. Yeah. Um, then the book, Brethren Hang Loose. I don't know if you remember that one or not. No, that not was that big. one. Yep. That was big around that time. And, and in, in Bible college, I began to have a thirst for body life, for church life, and kind of realizing there's got to be a better way to do church than what we grew up in. The congregation we grew up in was really centered around one personality. He was a phenomenal person, a phenomenal personality, one of the funniest people you'd ever meet in your life, and we're very thankful for him, but it was all pretty much revolved around his personality. And I began to see, as and trying to do that role myself, that, you know, when I say catch-22, I mean that the the quote unquote better job I did either from the pulpit or in relationships or in organization or in leadership or whatever, the better job I did, the more everything depended on me. And I thought, okay, the more everything depends on me, the farther away we get from really being a body. And so I, I kind of found myself as, you know, it's a corporate American mode. Um, and that was before, you know, since then I've seen other congregations that handle this much better. And we were blessed, you know, Frank, by being down there at, uh, in Baton Rouge at your place, I think handles it much, much better, but, but to what I knew then, you know, I didn't want to be a part of a group where so much depended on one person. And so it, it really boiled down to the, the only reason to stay was the paycheck. We lived in a parsonage. So the church owned the house. And the main reason to stay was a paycheck. And that's, you know, that's not a small reason. When you're married, you know, you got four children to support, you kind of need a paycheck. And um, I was working part-time with hospice at the time as a chaplain. And so the summer of, I guess, early the summer of uh, 83, you know, read some more things about body life and, and church life. And so it kind of came to the point where, okay, you know, I don't want to stay here just for the paycheck. And so it's really not the church board that's supporting me. It's really God that's been supporting me. And if he's been supporting me through this local congregation, perhaps he can come up with another way to support me. And so um, I resigned, gave him about a two month notice to resign at the end of the summer of 83. And that means we had to move because the church owned the, the house we were in. 
and um, moved, uh, it was about an hour away from Lexington. So we moved partway back to the town of Winchester and I kept my part-time hospice job and thinking as hospice chaplain, I think, well, something else will come along. If nothing else, I'll just go find any job I can to make some money. About a month after we made that move, a friend of mine who was a financial advisor um, asked me would I be interested in, in come working with him. I didn't know anything about that business, but I needed a job, a, a more of a job than just the hospice part-time chaplain. So I went to work with him and uh, got licensed later on. And so I, I've worked in the, the financial services industry since um, late 93. And that's been a very much a, a blessing and eventually gave up the, the chaplain job with the hospice. But that's, um, you know, so I you know, made a decision to resign that job and give up that paycheck with a wife and four kids. Now, I don't know to this day, you know, I don't know how much of that was faith and how much of that was just, I don't know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's worked out. But there was a lot of difficult years. I mean, financially, there was a lot of difficult years through that time. So um, it's not like just everything got rosy overnight. But today, Jeff is very successful in the financial services industry. We don't know exactly what that means because he won't ever really define it. But all I know is, as a realtor, if I meet somebody who's rich and they live in Lexington, I call Jeff because the chances are pretty good. He knows this person. He knows who they are. That Roger's, <laughs> Roger's exaggerating that a little bit, but it was <laughs> not a whole lot. But <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, he called me. Do you know so-and-so? I said, yeah, I know him. Then later on, I said, what made you think I might know him? He said, well, he just he's, he lives around here and he's got a lot of money. I thought you might know him. Well. Turns out I, I did. was right. <laughs> Most situations I would. So no, I don't know that many people. Yeah. yeah, technically, if I if I give too much information what I do, I'm legally supposed to throw in a bunch of disclaimers and all this stuff, and I'd rather not fool with that. So I just keep. Plus, you don't want to give say out to, to the public that you you know money laundering that kind of thing. That, that doesn't you know sound good. So whatever you do, I work. We in probably the don't want to know. Services industry. I work in the financial services. <laughs> <industry>, <laughs> Well, I'm not going to comment on that. I come from a Sicilian family and we worked in the financial services industry oh, too. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll leave that alone. But, yeah, uh, we probably should. Uh, but it's simple for me. I did it today. I'm a realtor. I can say real simple. I'm a realtor. Everybody knows what that is. Yeah. Gotcha. Frank, what do you think about this guy walking away from a job with four kids and a paycheck? Takes a lot of courage, huh? Oh boy. A lot of courage uh, a lot of blind faith a lot maybe a little presumption <laughs> yeah uh, it's interesting you know i've met a lot of guys too uh jeff on the flip side of that who want to leave the ministry yeah. but won't because yeah. of the paycheck uh and it's not that oftentimes you know charlatan you can make a lot of money in quote-unquote ministry but in a lot of ministry it's not that it's that great of a paycheck but it, that right. it's security yeah it wasn't that much but it was yeah. something you know it, here's here's, here's one of my new favorite quotes most people tiptoe through life trying to make it safely to death hmm. yep yeah I mean, I'm really thankful now that I, I made the decision when I did. And my heart goes out because I know there are a lot of pastors that would give anything to be doing something else. Yeah. But feel yeah. like trapped financially and, and have no choice. And so my, yeah. my heart goes out to them. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. There was a research project done recently, guys. And I don't remember exactly what research company it was, but they came to this conclusion that 50% of every pastor since 1990 has left the ministry 50 percent wow. well, and that. then 
And then they said that 60% of those still remaining would leave if they could find another job. Oh, yeah. So like you say, you mentioned the word catch 22 earlier. It's a it's a double-edged sword. We've got churches that are not really ministering life to pastors, but we've got pastors not ministering life to churches. Yeah. And so it's this tremendous need for revelation into what Jesus is really all about and that he wants to bring life. I know on my own website, guys, I, I this is my paragraph. Well, not paragraph, but this is my statement. I used to minister knowledge. Now I want to minister life. And I think that a lot of what we do is we use the Bible as either a rule book or a guide, but not the way Jesus said to, which is to use that book to lead them to him. Yeah. And that's what we've got to be all about. Here's what blows my mind is that our message is so simple. I mean, we boil down what we believe. We believe we live in a world not created by a random explosion, but there's a God. We find out, okay, this God has standards of behavior. He's not disconnected. He does care about how people behave. We find out the standards are, in some sense, relatively high. And then we find out that the good news is he sent a Savior to meet those standards for us. And we find out we can trust this Savior to fully meet those standards, pay the full price. His name is Jesus. Now, it's a very simple message. You have to go to church to be confused about it. <laughs> oh, that shouldn't be funny, but it is. I mean, it's it's funny slash sad, but you have to, you know, it, it's a simple, simple message when you think about it. And unless you've read Christian books, listen to Christian teachers, or been plugged into a local church for the most part, now I realize there are rare exceptions. I mean, there are exceptions of some, you know, books and teachers are great and some churches like you're fine. But for the most part, it's what we've learned from the Christian world that has messed up the gospel. Mm-hmm. Can I speak to that for a minute, yeah. Roger? This yeah. is this is so important. You mentioned it earlier that the cross changed everything. But here's the way I would put it. If you don't understand that God works in covenant, you will never understand the Bible. There was an old covenant. There is a new. And they have two separate distinct purposes. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3 is really clear. The law was given to kill and condemn you, so you'd have a need for Jesus. And once it's driven you to Jesus, now you're in the new covenant, you're done with the law, it fulfilled its purpose. But when you mix them, then we destroy both of them. If we add grace to law, the law loses its holy terror. If we add law to grace, grace loses its freeing power. But that's what the church is stuck in. We've we got a savior now, but we didn't realize that we're done with the law. And that's where the trouble lies. And if you look at Galatians, I think it's fascinating. But, you know, Romans is, is the book of doctrine. But I believe that Galatians is the book that we really need to bring to the church today because it's the fight for the purity of the gospel. It's the fight for the purity of grace. And Paul says in there, if you add one thing, just one, to the gospel, he says you pervert it. 
but it's a fascinating insight into that word pervert. It's, it's not pervert. It's not translated well. It literally means reverse. So it's not like you, you went one degree off the path. You went 180 degrees away from Jesus. You added something instead of him and went 180 degrees away. That's huge. Yeah. But I think that's the real issue. This is law and grace. This is old and new. And we've got to bring the church to an understanding of those distinctions. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Jeff and I based the book, Breaking the Hex, Life with God After the Cross Killed Religion, available on Amazon. I uh, out, out of the book of Galatians because, um, you know, Breaking the Hex is a term that comes from the message translation of Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, where he supposes, who's put a hex on you? Uh, some mm. translations say a curse or bewitched or whatever, you know, and all those terms make speak to the same point. But I agree. I'm just saying for me, I kind of had a little bit of an understanding of Old and New Covenant, but I'm just saying for me, what struck me was just a simple belief or understanding that when Jesus died on that cross, the reason, I mean, that was the change point. That's when the sky went dark. There was an earthquake. God ripped the temple veil from top to bottom, and dead people got out of graves and walked around. That day changed everything, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe Paul could say, I came to you and determined to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it kind of even brought a sharper focus, I think, there again, for me, between the Old and New Covenant. Mm -hmm. Then I began to look at different doctrines or ideas or teachings based on that to see how they changed from before the cross and after the cross. And I was really kind of stunned. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I've read the Bible over the years and read books and been to seminars and on and on and on, there's a lot of stuff I missed. So could I say you got stunned by grace? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think I got stunned by And it's not that the grace concept was a new concept for me. I got stunned by the clarity of grace, and I just got stunned by how, you know, for me, all of a sudden it made sense why Jesus spoke one way and Paul kind of spoke a different way. Frank's got a book called Stunned by Grace, don't you, Yeah, Frank? he's following your lead. He's plugging. You kind of teed him up for that. Yeah. One of the things I was going to, I don't know if we have time now. Or Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> I call that, Jeff, the... Uh, right Roger. over my head. Sorry about that, Frank. <laughs> Roger, I, I call that the Indy 500 syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's because he wasn't listening. All right, Jeff, yeah. I'm listening. Go on ahead. you got a few minutes, <laughs> uh, and then we're going to wrap you, up, and then we're going to come back. Okay, yeah. When we come back, then I want to... My experience in 1983, my first year in pastoring, the reality of Christ as life, hit me like a ton of bricks. I'd like to share that story, but it was actually many years later before I learned. It's really just been the last five or six years that I think I've grasped the old, old and new covenant thing. And that's when we wrote the book, kind of opened some eyes. So, so strangely enough, the meaning or the, the life in Colossians, all that kind of, I saw in, in a very dramatic way in, in 1983, but it was many years later before I could put that in context and, and really make it have it made more sense. So we can talk about that next time. Maybe. Well, that's a, that's a great uh, segue into, into the end of our time. Uh, guys come back. We look forward to picking up this conversation precisely where we left it off. Uh, thanks friends for joining us here on the ORH podcast. Our resolutehope.com is our website. Check us out on our social media platforms. Make sure you check out thefieldsbrothers.com. 
their website. They got a podcast. They got a book. You already heard it hawked. And please, once again, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.